everybody. Welcome to a very special episode of Maine Education Matters. Uh, my name is Matt. Hey, uh, so I have to preface because I said that it's a very special episode and I don't know if any of you grew up in the 80s or the 70s like I did. Yeah. Uh, when it's a very I special mean- episode, you, to- you tune in trying to hear, you know, things like uh, what you talk about, Willis, you just want to hear your favorite catchphrase and then the kindly nice uh <laughs> station manager from wkrp becomes a monster um and so that's a deep cut for anybody out there and if you get it i appreciate you i love you and i see you um so today's what we are going to do is we're going to jump start a, a very special conversation um and we are stumped on this conversation it's about something that literally everybody in the world is feeling and mm-hmm. right Everybody. It's, I have to remind people of that a lot. I think that it's, it's everybody. Everybody's feeling this, but what, what I, what I, what I think is fascinating and I'm not sure how much of a conversation this has been happening. People are sharing out how they're feeling about this, but not, there's not a whole lot of dialogue necessarily happening about the ways in which it's being experienced. Sure. So we're talking about COVID fatigue today, and we're talking about how that impacts uh, educators education, parents, teachers, administrators. And with that very special kind of focus today, we're getting away from the uh, Education Cultural Affairs Committee. Courtney, we have some very special guests. We do have some really excellent guests with us. Matt, share with us who we have today. So uh, in going in order of my screen, as I'm looking at it, uh, starting off, we have the uh, 2022 main teacher of the year, Kelsey Stoyanova from Hamden. Hi, everybody. It's nice to be here today. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Also with us today, licensed clinical social worker and mental health specialist for the Maine Department of Education, Bear Shea. Happy to be back. So glad to have you back again. Uh, Also with us today is the executive director for the Maine Parent Federation, Carrie Woodcock. Carrie, nice to meet you. Thank you for joining us. Nice to meet you, and thanks for having me. And finally, uh, without further ado, it is, we have Chris Howell, superintendent of RSU 14 and the main superintendent of the year for 2022. Chris, welcome to Maine Education Matters. Thank you. And thank you for including me in this important conversation this afternoon. Yeah, this is, this is super important. So for those of you paying attention out there, keeping track, we have um, people, we have someone talking from, from the teacher perspective. We have an administrative perspective. We have a parent perspective, and then we have the uh, DOE licensed, a licensed clinical social worker perspective. Look, it's the end of the day. I'm tired. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm. We we we've said on this podcast before, like in no in October, people were feeling March tired. Yes. And for te- and teachers know that feeling. I know. I don't know what other people, other professions feel that way, but there's a difference between October tired and March tired. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, we're all feeling it. We're all feeling it and it's February. So I guess what I wanted to start off with, I'm just going to put it out to everybody and anyone can jump in first. Uh, We're going to kind of keep it fast and loose here a little bit. I just want to know how you're doing. (laughs) How are you? Matt, Matt, it's a great question. I'll jump in first, which is um, absolutely in three introduction. This has been a roller coaster. Um, I'm tired. 
there's no question about it. I'm tired. And um, I think we'll probably kind of weave through the conversation, some of the things that are, that have led to that. Uh, but definitely the uncertainty, the changing conditions, um, trying to make sure that we're taking care of everybody around us, uh, I think has tired all of us out. So absolutely that March tired is um, just kind of been a theme that's gone through this year. I would agree. Tired is a very good description. It, the other day I was looking at my son's power school and I was like, oh my gosh, you only started third quarter. We're only halfway through the year. <laughs> yeah, feeling Because I feel like it's been eight years and it's only two quarters. So, um, and, and we're hearing from parents here the same. They're, they're very tired and um, feeling it as well. Yeah, I think kind of going off from that, um, feeling tired and, and also keep hearing that phrase, you can't pour from an empty cup. Mm -hmm. And I think for many of us right now, our cups are relatively empty or they're headed near empty. And as much as I'd like to be always the uh, glass half full type of person, um, there are days when that's harder than others. And, you know, I think that's true for um, everyone involved in anything, as Courtney said earlier, this is a, this is a worldwide feeling, uh, not just, um, us sitting here today. So I, I look forward to talking more about this. I mean, I guess I'll just stick with tired because it sounds so much nicer than haggard or bowled over or run down or any of those other, I, let's go with tired. Tired's nice. Tired. Um, I, you know, I think, you know, we've been in this for so long now and, um, anyone who's listened to, to any trainings that we've done through mental health, you know, we, we talk, I, I say this all the time, like this isn't the new normal, like, yeah, we're used to this, but like what we're in is not normal. And I think, you know, mm -hmm. two years in, we've really got to remember that this isn't normal. And that I think the things that we would normally do for ourselves are so different when we're really talking about taking care of everybody. And that just, it just makes that weight uh, and the responsibility and the impact all that much more significant. I, I love that, that concept of the new normal. And I want to, I'm going to want to circle back to that probably towards, as we get to the end, because one of the things I'd like to have part of this conversation is to see like, is there any kind of um, action or solution or action thing we can act upon as a result of what we're all learning today? What, what can we do about these feelings? about how we're, how we're doing. So given how you all, we all can agree that there's this level of just general fatigue or haggardness, which I know we're not using. Um, that's, that's generally speaking around all of us. What I'm wondering is, can each of you just highlight a little bit of what you're hearing from the field where you are, where, where you're maybe quote unquote representing. So from the teacher side, from the administrative side, uh, just to share a little bit about what you're hearing and feeling. Can I add on to that? And, and seeing, I think the way different people show up, the way their tiredness shows up, uh, their weariness shows up can be very different. So it would be great to hear when you're talking about your your groups, right? Who you're kind of representing is what it's looking like for those people too. Chris, it looks like you're ready to go. You've got something. Well, I was, I went first last time, so I was going to defer to someone else, but I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead. I mean, um, I do have a chance to, to speak at least every other week with um, superintendents in Cumberland County and then mm. superintendents statewide every other week. And I, you know, I think part of what has led to this is that I think all of us are trying to 
take everything that's coming at us for whether it be a new SOP or new health and safety guidelines or something else that's changing and, and trying to figure out a way to how do we make this make sense or best make sense for our, our students and for our, our parents and for the populations that we're all serving. And all the individuals and all the superintendents that I work with love their districts. They will do anything that they can to make sure that their students and their staff are taken care of and that their families are taken care of. And I think part of that is just it feels like just when we get into a routine, then things change up a little bit. And it's just the changing nature of the pandemic. And I, and I think all of us were kind of hit pretty hard where last year with all of us being in hybrid or having remote days, we fought with vaccination. There was this glimmer of hope and cases were really dropping off. And I think all of us left the school year last year thinking, hey, this might be a normal year going into 21, 22. And then all of a sudden, bam, um, Delta hit. And we had a reprieve and then Omicron hit. And I think just this roller coaster of what it is that we've been hitting has just kind of led to that. So I think we're all looking for that sense of predictability in our daily lives. Carrie, what do you see or hear and feel? <laughs> so um, I think parents were, had, had the hopes that it was going to be a, a return to school was going to be um, easy or resolve a lot of the issues for our children. Um, so, you know, most of our schools have gone back to full five days of in-person learning. Um, and even though there are masks and there's protocols and there's closures, um, but I think families and parents were had really high hopes for being back in person five days a week, resolving some of the mental health issues that they started to creep up with their um, young kids. And even um, we're seeing it, and Bear could speak to this a lot in our teenagers um, well, and that has not happened. And it's, it's actually gotten worse. Um, and they're seeing their kids really struggle. Um, and so there's, there's um, sadness um, because whenever you see your child struggle, that, that makes you sad as a parent. Um, there's frustration because as Chris pointed out, we didn't think we were going to be in this situation going into the school year. And so there's frustration with the schools. There's a lot of frustration with the schools right now. Um, and then there's empathy for the teachers who are working hard. I do hear empathy from parents, um, especially at the beginning of the school year, maybe growing a little bit thin during Omicron with the, the school closures. Um, but they have an understanding for how short staffed because most of them who are working professions are short staffed themselves. Um, and so they understand that it's really hard to put out um, product right now, regardless of the profession that you're in. Um, it hits harder when it's your child who's affected, right? Um, and it hurts more. And so I'm sure they've had to deal with a handful of angry parents. And we've we've started to feel that anger as well here. Um, for the most part at Maine Parent Federation, when we're working with parents, we don't get that as much because we're helping them through a situation. We're starting to get that a little bit now because there's just a frustration with the world in general. So things are kind of spilling in, spilling over that where it's that it's that you can't pour from an empty cup. But if the cup is already if it's filled up with frustration, you only have so much frustration one can hold on to in their life before. Just like enough, I've I'm done. I can't. Yeah, everybody it. becomes the enemy, even those who are trying to help you. Right. So Kelsey, from the from the from the classroom teacher perspective, what what are you seeing? So ever since the question was asked, I have this image in my brain. I don't know if you guys are remembering this, but those machines that you stand in and there's a bunch of like papers or dollars flying around and you're trying to grab as many <laughs> as you 
So that's literally what, even as like Chris and Carrie were adding in their perspectives, I'm like, oh yeah, there's another one I'm trying to grab. Oh, there's another one I'm trying to grab. And it's, it's all of these different roles and responsibilities that teachers are having to take on that are unattainable after a while. You can only grab so much before you're full, before your arms are tired, before your, your mind is tired, before you, you know, how much more can we take before it's too much? And that's what I'm seeing a lot from my colleagues. You know, we are playing the role of um, the person in front of these kids every day that we're seeing this sadness. We're seeing it from our students. We're seeing it from our colleagues and our natural instinct is to care and to help and to uplift. But sometimes we get to a place where we can't do that for ourselves and it becomes really hard to do that for those around us as well but we keep doing it anyway. So again, I'm still just grasping at every individual thing, whether it's a task that I need to take on, like setting goals for myself as a teacher, whether it's checking in with that one student who I noticed was off today um, or hasn't been to school for two weeks because they were in quarantine and, and now they're back. You know, whether it's seeing that my colleague who I normally have lunch with didn't come into the lunchroom today and I, and I wanna check in with them. And I'm only one person relaying those stories, but I know that that's the same for all of my my colleagues, you know, our ultimate passion is to care for our students, for our colleagues to uplift and um, create opportunities for students to grow. And it's becoming harder and harder to do that in a way that feels successful because of all of the other things that we're having to grasp at. And if I can just jump in for a second, because something that Carrie and Kelsey just kind of reminded me of, I think that exactly what Kelsey was talking about was truly tested during the Omicron spike when we were each and every day trying to figure out whether or not we could stay open. And so it wasn't just that Kelsey was taking care of her class. It was the person next door had to be out. So she was helping that sub with materials or she maybe was covering a duty or one of our staff because noon monitors were out or we didn't have playground monitors. Um, and that was happening across our district or in the case of the first time where we had to cancel a bus run. We've never done that in RSU 14, but one morning said, I'm sorry, we don't have enough drivers. And so exactly Carrie was talking about this, these things that we've always been able to provide to for parents. And then for once to say, I'm sorry, we can't. And it's not something that we're able to do. Bear, we're hearing there's just a whole lot and I get, I, I keep just trying to think about how can I sum things up here in a way and just the constant inconsistency, inconsistency or the, um, the, the stable instability in a way that that's the one thing that's, you know, we, all, we always say the one thing constant in life is change. And that's a great idea and a great concept and a really interesting philosophical thing you can dive into but when you're constantly experiencing it how like what happens uh, uh yeah what do we do well i, I mean I, the obi-wan kenobi it's 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 really i i think for me and, and you know this is someone coming from somebody who really is steeped in like clinical practice and working with kids one-on-one, -on -one, you know, kids who've experienced the toughest things that could happen all the way just to kids who are having a rough day. 
Um, like that's the work that I've focused on. And now working at the DOE and looking at mental health um, across the state at a macro level um, and understanding the impacts of, um, of a crisis. And that, you know, we unfortunately, we have a lot of really good um, research on how human beings respond during a crisis. So we know the impact that it has on us. I think we tend to look, and, and Mainers, I think, are, are very much this way. We look at ourselves as individuals and how it impacts us individually. I think it's really important to remember that, you know, we say like this is impacting everybody and that's true, but it's not impacting us just as individuals. It, it has, you know, systemically affected the pillars of support. Um, you know, we talk about resilience and, and resilience for kids, but for all of us, you know, having families um, that are stable and available and feel safe and comfortable, um, you know, having those mentors, having um, food, shelter, water, um, you know, some of these basic uh, uh, systems that that when we are struggling support us are also negatively impacted by COVID. And, and so not only are our normal everyday, you know, change and frustration and difficulty and anxiety and the unknown, but the actual pillars of support, um, you know, our, our, our infrastructure within our state for how we manage um, mental health, for how we manage physical health, right? I mean, that's, we talk about our hospitals and COVID all the time, but mental health is a significant um, part of our infrastructure as well. And just our, 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 our collective humanness um, is really impacted on multiple levels. And I think that's an important thing to, to, to remember that it's not just about how we're individually dealing with it, but it's how it really affects these support pillars that hold us up um, as, as a group. So that, that, was, that was the easy, simple answer, right? Like, <laughs> well, and what's interesting, go ahead. So, sorry, I mean, go ahead, Karen. What's interesting to me, Bear, is when you use the word crisis, we all think, you know, when somebody's in crisis, it's usually a temporary, shorter period of time. We've been in crisis for two years now. So that adds to the length of time that, as a human race, we're operating under a crisis um, is, is really taking its toll. And that's why it's not normal. That's, you know, human beings are really good at normalizing. We are used to being able to survive through horrible things. Um, and so our, we're, our brains are built to uh, regulate and normalize to situations. But what we are in is not normal. It's a crisis. And, and really, when we look, when I look at research, we're talking about disaster, right? The impact of disasters on human beings and, and human uh, you know, minds, the way our brains respond, that's, that's what we're talking about at this level. And I think that's a really important perspective to hold on to when we're mired in that um, tiredness, and I just used air quotes, um, of the day to day, because that's what this is coming from. Um, and, and I think that perspective is, is really important um, when we're interacting with everyone, and particularly when we're talking about kids. I also really appreciate this idea of time that was just brought up and it, I actually wrote down before here, um, before coming here, that time looks so different now than it might have two years ago, three years ago. And so this idea that, you know, when someone's in crisis, you immediately want to find a solution no matter who you are and no matter what expertise you might have. You want to find a solution for someone or a group or a situation that is a crisis. And so I think another 
thing to think about here is that we have a lot of people right now that are looking for solutions, whether you're talking about on the singular level for their own child, whether you're talking on the classroom level, me as a teacher trying to come up with solutions for a crisis in my classroom, um, the administrative level, district level, the state level, whatever it might be, there's a lot of people trying to come up with solutions. But I also feel like you can't come up with a solution unless you yourself have had time to process and to heal. And that's something that we haven't really been able to do yet. We have, and and there's reasons for that, right? The, the world keeps going, even if we want to stop, right? And, and so there's this big giant need for processing and healing and working through things that we don't have the time to do. So how do we overcome that? Or do we overcome that? I think that's an essential question. Like, what, how do we overcome that? Or like you said, do we, or just if, if we don't overcome that, what happens? We're, we're, Mainers are really good. The idea of overcoming, right? Like we have a massive snowstorm and we all pull together and we dig each other out, right? Like we're, we're really great at that. We are really great at, you know, something difficult happening and banding together and, and sort of pushing through, um, this is something that's tested, you know, this isn't a, a weekend snowstorm, right? This, this, this is something that's gone on for such a long period of time. And we've all gone through these sort of ebbs and flows of emotions of like, all right, things are really tough now, but I see this little light and, and in the fall, we're going to be back in person and okay, well, shoot, we're going to be masking. All right. But it's not going to be that bad because it's going to be this, you know, human brains, we don't respond well to change, right? Change happens, but we don't like it. Human Human brains like things to be consistent um, and we like to know. And, and those are two things that are in this disaster, in this pandemic that we don't have. Um, you know, I, I don't know a teacher who isn't a planner, right? Like educators, <laughs> we like to plan. Parents, we like to plan. We like to know when things are going to happen. We like to know how they're going to happen. Um, and planning has kind of been gone for the past two years. Um, and that, that takes away a lot of structure. Structure is comfortable and safe for our brains. When we don't know, we get anxious. The longer we don't know, the, the more that impacts us, the more it impacts our, you know, our physiology, our interactions, and snowballs from there. But I'll just go along with that snow theme. I think we are in that extended storm, and our plow person hasn't shown up. We're not sure when they're going to show up. And so we keep having these things or we have somebody come and steal our shovel or um, somebody comes on and says snow's supposed to end at five o'clock and wait a minute, I wake up in the morning and it's still going. Um, it's this treadmill. And the, you know, the analogy you often hear is, you know, trying to take a drink out of a fire hose. Uh, there's so many things going on because it's not, we're not just dealing with the pandemic right now. Um, we are dealing with, as Kelsey kind of got to, is we're seeing families that have been stressed beyond belief. And so traditional family structures, and we see more and more grandparents or extended family members who are um, taking on that important role of helping out with kids. And we're seeing families that are strained financially and so working to support. So, um, you know, whether it be guidance or social work or other supports that we might have been adequate to support students in the past, we're finding our stretch beyond and even, you know, the partnerships that we've had with outside providers that they're completely booked or if you want to have a kid go into a crisis unit, there isn't one. And so they're sitting in a hospital emergency room for sometimes days on end. I think these other structures, so it would be great if it was just the snowstorm or just the pandemic. 
Uh, and in addition, um, we are in some very trying political times, which are influencing districts all over the state and all over the country that are just adding another layer beyond the pandemic onto all of us. At, at Maine Parent Federation, we assist families who have kids with disabilities and special health care needs. So oftentimes they're in special education programs, but we sort of characterize the three buckets that we help families navigate and it's school services, medical services, and then state-based social service. Um, and medical includes mental health services. And right now, every single system of care that we're helping families navigate has some sort of wait list, basically, um, or delay of services. So imagine having a child who has special health care needs. It's tremendously difficult to do. I have a child with Down syndrome. It's exhausting anyway. I mean, I was exhausted pre-pandemic because it's just harder. It, it is. It is what it is. I wouldn't trade it for the world, but it is what it is. But then not being able to get them the care that they had before or on wait lists. And so it's not just our schools that are experiencing this. Our mental health system of care right now across this country is in crisis because of the pandemic. You can't get your child a, psych a psychiatric appointment without waiting at least six months or if you can find one at all. And one that takes your insurance because a lot of them are going private pay. So that increases the inability for people to have access to services. That's to get medications. And then a psychologist, I mean, Baird mentioned he's a licensed clinical social worker. I'm sure he's got connections. They've got wait lists that are long as well, just to be able to talk to somebody. And so it's the, our mental health is on the verge of, or in the middle of a crisis, but we can't get services. Um, and then when you can't get services for your children and you see them declining, your mental health starts taking even more of a toll. So there's this domino effect that is happening and it's happening across our country. It's not specific to Maine, obviously. And to add on to that, not only, not only, not only that, but you have your, you're waiting for all these services to happen for your kids and you're, you're doing as a parent, trying to do whatever you can in order to support or to do what you can to get their kids what you need. And this delay upon delay upon delay. And then, well, now we have to go into quarantine for two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and so now I have to figure out how I'm going to deal with work. I have to figure out how I'm going to deal with all of everything else that comes in the, in the life of a, of, of a parent uh, going through living in this, in this environment. Um, that's kind of where I wanted to, to, to steer the next part of the conversation is to kind of um, have that day in a life type uh, conversation type. What it like each of you comes from a very different perspective. So we're talking about this snowstorm. Well, we might be looking at the snowstorm from different places and different and experiencing it, the same snowstorm, but in a very different way, even though we're seeing, experiencing the same snowstorm. What's a day in, and we talk about what you're experiencing, what you're seeing, but really, I don't know how to, I don't know what I'm, I don't know how to ask this question any more than just a day in a life type situation, because to get to a level of empathy and understanding of where everyone's coming in at it, it's trying to say, here's what, here's where, where I'm coming at. As an administrator, here's what happens. As a parent, here's, here's a typical day. Here's what I'm, here's what I'm living with on a typical day. As a teacher, here's what I'm living with on a typical day. To start that level of understanding. 
I mean, I think, do you think you could? Oh, Carrie's ready to go. Go ahead. Right. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think as a parent, it might be the easiest for people to um, think about if they are a parent themselves. Um, but, you know, and I, I think the schools are aware when like on a Monday, I get a phone call at 315 that my daughter's school is closing for the week and she won't be able to come back till next Tuesday. I've all of a sudden got to jump through hoops to figure out, okay, so she's going to be home with me. I have Zoom meetings scheduled, soup to nuts every day. She's in special ed. She's in middle school, but she can't access it on her own. How am I going to get her the access to her education that she needs for the week? And guess what? For me, it meant, yeah, we're not going to log in all that often. Sorry. And, and that's what I had to do for my own mental health and just allow her to do things at home that I knew she would enjoy and that she could do. But there was a lot of iPad screen time. I'm not going to lie. And I had to forgive myself for that because I it was a last minute decision. It was Monday at 3.15. I got to figure out the rest of the week. Uh, and then, you know, I'm trying to log into power school and see how my son's doing. And, you know, there's the inevitable missed assignment or bad grade. I mean, power school gives me heart palpitations these days. He's a junior in high school and I hate logging into power school more than he does because I don't know what I'm going to see. And it was, you know, he was an AB student, but he's been struggling even going back to in-person learning, um, making sure that I'm doing my job. You know, my phone oftentimes rings with the parent in need. And, and what I have to do is put my son stuff aside for that moment in time and see what I can do to help that parent. And I think teachers can relate to that because that's what they're trying to do. And I think what's important to remember and what we try to tell parents is, yeah, you're trying to juggle work in school and family and your child. And these teachers are trying to do the same thing as well. And everybody's understaffed. Um, and we have to try to remember that so that we can get to that point of empathy. But we're all going to have a moment where we're just wanting to, you know, go outside and scream our bloody fool heads off because we get to that level of frustration. And so what I try to tell parents to do is, you know, do the little things that are going to relieve the stress or let go of that list in your head and forgive yourself um, and try not to carry that guilt. And I think that can help. It's there's no time for an hour. No, no offense to people like meditation, but when people tell me, well, find the time to meditate or, or exercise, like when you're talking about <laughs> stuff that requires me to do more work, I like, I'm not on board right now. I need to be able to do the small things, pick up the phone and give my friends a call instead of texting all the time. Those are the things that as parents, you can do to take care of yourselves. And hopefully those little things will start adding up. So you don't get to the, to the, the point where you're just wanting to scream at the end of the day. Um, and it's, you know, sometimes it's minute by minute, sometimes it's day by day. Um, and you're just going to take each, each day a minute as it comes and try to get through it. Now, finding an outlet is incredibly important. Like you were just saying, finding somebody, whether it's meditation or whatever it might be. Um, I, I'm a man, I'm, I'm a, I know that that's something that's going to be, it is important, but it's also really hard to find really hard to identify it. And at times it can also be like, I, I don't have time for myself because by the time I get the kids in the bed, I have to do dishes. I have to wash things. I have to fold laundry. I got all this other stuff literally piling up in my house. And I'd like to just kind of chill out and watch a, an episode on something on Netflix or Hulu or wherever it is. Not, not an ad, um, but it's uh, one of those things. So Kelsey, from the teacher perspective, like a day in the life. Sure. Um, well, as a parent myself, you know, just getting out of the house in the morning is the first, um, 
challenge of the day. Uh, and, you know, I've been very fortunate that daycare hasn't been closed down, but I have many colleagues who their stumbling block starts there because daycare gets closed down and they have to stay home and they have to remote into their classes for the day. Um, so for me, I've been successful and fortunate in that case, but I have many colleagues that haven't. So I get to school and I go into the office where there are two, three subs, if we're lucky, uh, coming in to get their assignments for the day because we have teachers or support staff that are out. And I hear our secretary saying, you know, she needs X class covered or Y class covered. And then my principal says, well, I can do that one. You know, maybe you can call in our vice principal to do the other one. And I make it up to my classroom and I look at our list of quarantines for, you know, who's coming back? Who's out still? Am I getting a computer in my room from that child's homeroom for my first class? What computer do I have to set up to make sure that I have kids ready? Um, I'm putting my lesson on the board. You know, what are we doing today? Whilst kids start coming in at 7.15 into my room because they can't all be in one space anymore because they have to be more distanced than that. They used to go into the gym in the morning, but they can't anymore. And so they're coming into my room during what used to be my time to plan for the, or to be ready for the day. I should should say. And so we start the day and the computer for some reason isn't here. So I call the office and I see where the computer is. And then the computer makes it here and the student isn't there or the computer died. And so we have to log back in. You know, these are things that happen multiple times a day. And so before I've even started the lesson, my brain's already someplace else. With that being said, we also have a success moment. Today's Monday. I start my Mondays off with anybody that wants to share something from their weekend, please share and, you know, tell us about your baseball practice or your basketball game. And, you know, those are some bright spots for us. And again, I haven't even gotten to the day's lesson yet, um, but those are important. And I think that it's important to note that much of my job has transitioned from solely academics to really making sure that I am hearing my students and being able to take a gauge, take a temperature on their social emotional well-being. And that that affects everything though, you know, going back to that idea of a domino effect, right? All of a sudden yeah. a unit that take me, you know, uh, a quarter might take me a quarter and a half now because I am implementing other structures and strategies to make sure that my students are okay every single day. And, you know, that's, th those are the good things that I'm doing. That's not including the interruptions, you know, the interruptions for pooled testing, the interruptions for, um, you know, being able to just you know, students coming in and out for whatever reason. Um, there are just lots of other things that happen in my day now that never used to exist before. And yes, some of them are wonderful. Some of them I will implement from this day forward forever and ever. And, and those are some bright spots, right? But then there's the other things that just drag things out. And, you know, there's also the pressures that come from the outside. So if I um, have an assignment that was due last week and I haven't put in a grade yet, I have students, well, are you going to grade that? Are you going to grade that? And the answer is yes, I'm going to. I also have this list of students that I need to check in. So it's prioritizing too in a different way. And, and so that's my day. My, my brain kind of goes in a million different directions. Did I check in with this student? Did I, uh, I need to go to the student's um, study hall to be able to give them information. I need to make sure that the computer made it to science class from ELA class. Um, I need to check in with the front office to make sure my paperwork is in for my next graduate class that I'm working on. You know, all of these different things um, that kind of come in and that's just during the school day. Then I have to make the decision, that pile, that to-do list that I didn't get done during the day. Do I bring that home tonight and then not see my three-year-old or do I 
leave it until tomorrow when the list gets longer. And, you know, I have been fortunate to be able to manage that pretty well. And I, and I have been able to leave a lot of my list here. Um, but you always have that thought and that little bit of guilt in the back of your mind, you know, is it okay that I did that? Is it okay that I gave my three-year-old screen time for an hour and a half at night? You know, going back to what you said, Carrie, right? Is it okay that I did that so that I could get my, you know, graduate reading done for my class tomorrow? And the answer for me has to be okay. And I've, and I've learned to start to accept that, but it's taken a, a big shift for me for sure. Um, as someone who is a planner going back to that planning piece, right? Yeah. So it's, it's just a constant, um, checklist, never ending checklist in your brain of little and big things that are different than they ever used to be. Yeah, that, that, that cognitive knowledge that, oh, I should be able to forgive myself or I should, I shouldn't feel guilty about this. I shouldn't feel guilty about that at all. Yeah. That makes sense in my brain. And then the heart takes over and it's like, cause that's one of the things that I found about every educator that I've ever met. No one gets into education with malicious intent. Everyone gets into education with a really pure, honest, good heart. And they stay that way. Uh, and it's one of those areas that, I, yeah, I, I, I get cognitively, I can't do that but man, I really should. And I want to, and I want them to feel, and that can weigh and that stuff builds up. Um, Chris, from an administrative side, and I, I, it's, it's one of those, one of those things that, you know, you tell me about your life. (laughs) Well, a couple things really resonated when um, Kelsey was talking, when Carrie was talking, because it's, I think it's been so difficult, especially in COVID to compartmentalize family and work, sorry, compartmentalize work so that I can spend time with family. Um, because yes, I have family at home that, that needs me just as much as my RSU 14 family. Um, you know, it's, it's almost impossible to describe what a day looks like for me, uh, because there isn't really a really good set routine. Um, I'm up at 4.30 on email, Um, and I'm on email at 9.30 at night. So my, the only time I'm not on email and connected with either text or other things with those hours from 9.30 to 4.30 in the morning, and that's, and that's it. Uh, you know, part of it is that we're a district that has, um, 3,200 students, 630 employees, 7,000 parents, um, and we're a $52 million business. And so, it's a, unlike any other business structure where anybody can email the CEO at any time and there's the expectation and I think social media and even email has added its own set of um, struggles with all of this or challenges, but this expectation that you're always on. So when you throw all those people together in that large of a community, um, there's always the possibility for issues to go on. And it's, you know, part of it is helping to explain here's policy or helping to explain, um, you know, this is the reason why we do something or working with a set of parents to help them support and to get resources. Um, so there, there is no predictability in as far as day in, day out. Um, who knows what came in at 4.30? And it might be a conversation through text or on the phone with transportation saying, how are we looking for today? Are we all set? Um, or it may be there's a crisis and we need to make sure that we have some things put into place so that we can open up school or 
on a given day, maybe we can't open up school. I will say though, we've been pretty fortunate that throughout the pandemic, um, there's only been a handful of times that we've had to close down a school for, and it's only been for short periods of time. But again, it's this whole complex web of people and resources and just making sure that we can stay to that commitment that we made to families of staying open um, and, and juggling all of that. And I am just, I am so fortunate and so blessed to have such a wonderful administrative team that works um, basically the same hours. Sometimes I have to warn them when they're emailing me at 2.30 in the morning, I say, wait a minute here, you are way outside of your hours, which you need to be doing, but they're waking up and, and there's things that are on their mind and looking to get those things out, but they have worked um, above and beyond. And same thing going with my teaching staff and my support staff, they've gone, ab gone above and beyond to make sure that they're taking care of families. So I wish I could say there's a set routine, one day it might be a bus accident, one might be a day that we have a student that got themselves into a very difficult situation, or maybe there was a family who um, a parent passed overnight and it's just trying to work and make sure that everyone is taken care of and their needs are being met. But again, I'll go back to the beginning part. Um, it's, I think it's been difficult over the last couple of years to take work, compartmentalize it to work and then go home and be present for my family who wants to see me just as much as hopefully my work family does that sometimes that's questionable, but, um, you know, to make sure that everyone's needs are being met. And I think what she just actually met started going, people got into education, um, about learning and supporting and making sure they were taking care of others. And, you know, part of it is just, I think we we're all feeling that kind of that tension. Are we doing it? Are we doing enough? Should I be doing something on, you know, the last couple of weekends with not contact tracing uh, has been a gift. I think actually the last three weekends have been the first three weekends since we opened up for 20, uh, where there hasn't been a conversation with a nurse or principal about we've got the situation. Do we need to contact trace? Who's going to be quarantined? Um, it's been weird having weekends and feeling like maybe <laughs> I should be doing something. So Bear, we're going to let you have the last word today. Do you, what do you want to add to this conversation or these thoughts around the day-to-day -day and the ever-changing nature of our lives? I mean, I, I think the, you know, when we're looking at something that's affecting so many people, the fact that, that, these, that these three stories that we've heard are are all interrelated and that they're all so similar and, and that these impacts, I mean, we can talk about big picture, we can talk about workforce, we can talk about infrastructure, we can talk about all these things, but really it, it is the day-to-day -day pieces that we live um, and those experiences within this larger pandemic that, that are so fraught and, and that really are taking a toll. Um, and I think that's an important thing to recognize that, that, you know, we, this, this has been a two year snowstorm and we have been digging out every single day and trying to help our neighbors dig out every single day and trying to run our businesses, um, you know, and, and be, you know, be ourselves amongst this. I mean, I think, and, and really that's not even talking about, you know, 
uh, our most vulnerable populations that were already struggling before the pandemic. Um, you know, or you know, I was thinking of while Kelsey was talking, like while she's getting ready in the class, knowing that that there's been a groundswell of you know anxiety and um, feeling on edge for kids, and that 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 that's going to play out behaviorally. That that their interactions between themselves, but with her, um, all of those things, you know, and that's what we're seeing at home as parents. You know that our kids are um, are struggling at home, even just following the things they normally would do easily, um, and that we're worried about them coming home from school and and being frustrated or saying I don't want to go to school or I want to see my friends or I don't want to see my friends. All of these pieces, um, you know, they they really do affect these you know these individual layers that we're talking about. And I think ultimately, you know, schools have been stepping into a, a gap um, and schools always do those, those needed gaps around mental health. We're seeing more clinical supports being uh, brought in. We're seeing teachers take on more mental health roles in, in mm -hmm. it's beyond providing just mentoring. Um, it really is providing um, a, an awareness of where kids are at and what their needs are knowing that we don't really have the infrastructure to support it a lot of the times. And that then parents are, are taking on that extra load at home, um, that they're trying to manage mental health for kids um, because again, we don't have those structures. So I, I think, you know, the story is really, again, this, uh, is, this isn't normal. And, and this is this overall um, impact for all of us. And how are we working together, recognizing that it does impact us? Um, not just individually, but at those systemic levels. Right. And that, that, that isn't normal. And that sense, like we brought up, brought up at the very beginning, that new normal, this is a new normal. Perhaps there's an opportunity that we might have here, which is um, the ability, if we're making these systemic structural changes in our schools, if we're making these things structural changes with our uh, connections, with our parents, with our teachers, with our administrators, with the entire education community, to have this more of a connection focus, to have this more of a um, support for mental health awareness, for more just being able to take care of ourselves, that, that, um, that emotional awareness as well, perhaps that might lead to some changes in what we define as being, in, quote, air quotes, important in terms of education. And what matters truly the most. And if we're going to move into a new normal as a result of what we've learned from all of this, I'm personally hoping that we can take these lessons of what's important and these, these things that we're building in our schools now, and then they, then they can sustain this level of having connection. And like Kelsey was saying, I, I, I don't necessarily go to the academics right away. I can't, I just, I, th there's this, there's no use in doing it and that's okay. Well, and if, if this, if, if we're agreeing that this is not, it continues to not be a normal situation, you know, the, the tough part about that is our expectations shouldn't be normal. Um, and I think a lot of us get into that place where like, I want to go back to having normal expectations. I want to go back to looking at what fourth grade is going to be like and, and um, you know, what this developmental piece for my child is going to be and what I get to plan for next year. And, you know, uh, but our, our expectations need to recognize that they also can't be normal. And unfortunately, sometimes the expectation needs to be that we actually do need more. Um, that we're in a situation where we need more supports, that we need to um, reach out more, that we need to intentionally create, um, you know, as much resource for ourselves as we can. But 
those expectations, they can really make things tough. They can. Uh I think that is an excellent place to, to stop and let that last thought resonate with everybody until we come back to this conversation for part two. Um, thank you all so, so much for taking time out today to come talk with us about this and um, best to all of you and may you find a moment for a deep breath uh, before the next thing comes your way. <laughs>